All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, well, we're going to get to the Word. Hey, guys. <laughs> we're going to definitely get to the Word. We've got to do that. But uh, before that, I wanted to just talk to you about our, our we had our motocross, F, um, FCA motocross camp this week. And uh, once again, <laughs> the Lord showed up uh, in a mighty way. And it's incredible because, um, you know, we talk about all the time that our lives are in the Lord's hands, right? And um, our lives are a continued journey to the path of surrender, right? That's, that's the goal. That's the end game. That my life, that your life as a child of God, as in a disciple of Jesus Christ, would be completely and entirely surrendered to his will. Easier said than done, <laughs> right? Easier said than done. It's all great when things are going well and, and, and you're on the mountaintop and all that stuff, but when, when things go wrong, things don't go the way that we think that they ought to go, uh, or just things really do go bad, man, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to keep our focus and our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible calls him the author and finisher, perfecter of our faith. He's the author. He is the author, man. He wrote the book, right? In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that the, the, the spirit of the message contained in these pages that we read is actually one with Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And so there's this, we talk about the marvelous mystery of Jesus Christ, and it is, a lot of it just simply is a mystery to us. And, and I think so often that God just wants to bring us back to that place of just, I just love Jesus because I've, I've experienced his goodness in my life and I felt his presence in my heart and he has forgiven me of my sins and he's made something beautiful out of a wretched man, right? Something beautiful, not physically maybe, but he's made something beautiful out of a wretched man and a wretched life because only he can do that. And so I love him. Uh, and so this is, the, this is the goal, and this is the, always you know, the heart of the believer in Jesus Christ, is to continually be pressing onward and pressing forward into the faith. So uh, I feel like in the spirit of that, with all the stuff that's gone on this year, you know, when we got the phone call that all the FCA camps were canceled because of the COVID-19, you know what I mean? We're like, there is no, no, you know what I mean? You have all these thoughts, we were so bummed out, no, come on, who cares about COVID? And, but, you know, the rules are the rules, and, we, and the FCA canceled all their camps and all this stuff, and man, we were, we were bummed out because every single year, this is our sixth year of doing this motocross camp, and every single year, the Lord has shown up, and the Lord has saved souls, brought souls into the kingdom through these dirt bikes. You know what I mean? And it is just absolutely beautiful uh, to behold. And so, man, we were, we were bummed out. And here's what ended up happening. Uh, a different crew, a different group of people who were putting on a smaller motocross camp called me and said, we're still doing a camp. Would you be willing to come and preach at our motocross camp? Well, what kind of a question is that? You know what I mean? Like, well, of course, where, when, why, and how, and I'll be there, you know? It was a short two-day camp. Fifteen people were there. So we were, we were, I was excited to be a part of that camp because, hey, I'll take, I'll take it, you know. Uh, I have such a passion for, for not only for the sport, but for the ministry that God has given us along with this sport. So I was happy to be there. And not long after I had committed to that, I get the call and we have a meeting and, hey, we're going to do a day camp. The FCA is still going to do a camp. It's just going to be different. We can't do a sleepaway camp because of the COVID restrictions, but we can do a day camp. 
where the parents can come just like they do with the way, the way the motocross races work is the parents get their trailers and their trucks and their dirt bikes, they load everything up and they go to the track on Friday night or Saturday morning and they camp there for the weekend. They practice on Saturdays, they race on Sundays, and then they pack all their stuff up, they go home, work all week, and then do it again. So this was going to be the same kind of format, but they were going to show up on Wednesday, and then we were all going to be there and stay there together Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then finish up at 2 o'clock on Saturday. That's, that was the format this year. So not only did we have all of the kids on the track, but the idea was that the parents would be campers as well that they would be a part of the whole FCA motocross experience that their kids have been telling about every single year. And we had absolutely no idea how this thing was going to come off. We had absolutely no idea how this thing was going to work. I mean, no idea whatsoever. I got visions in my mind of parents fist fighting in the pits. You know what I mean? Your kid cut my kid off, you know, because they're going to be out on the track. The parents are going to be out on the track. And we didn't know how many people were even going to sign up. And early on, we were so low on numbers that we thought we may have to even cancel this camp. We, we didn't, we, you know, just a couple of weeks before camp, it was like, uh, iffy, 15. Well, all of a sudden, the last two weeks before camp, we had so many people sign up that we had to close down registration. We typically have anywhere from 55 to 65 approximately campers, uh, and they're all kids. We had this year over 150 campers, because it includes the parents as well, and I might be low on that number, 180 it ended up with, okay, 180 campers we ended up with. We had uh, almost 100 motocross riders that were going to be on the track, that was Marty's duty, well, you look at him, look at this guy, <laughs> he, huh, what, uh, you pretty much, right? And we had like 35 off-road riders. So we had a whole off-road training course as well. So the Lord just brought everything together, and none of it would have happened without the COVID-19 thing. It would have been just a regular camp, which I'm sure would have been blessed, but God had other plans. God had something else in mind this year, and I'm telling you, like at one point after the last, after the Friday night service, the owner of all the property, Dan Hooden is this awesome guy, loves Jesus, loves dirt bikes, loves kids, loves the motocross ministry, and he has like 500 acres up in Remsen, New York, and he just has given it to us every year. He built us an unbelievable motocross track. You guys know all this stuff already from years back, but it, he, he, just, he just puts all of this stuff on. He makes all this stuff possible. And after the Friday night service, we did fireworks this year. We had a professional team come in and do fireworks. It was just an awesome finish to the evening. And he came up, and he was just standing there looking at us <laughs> like this, right? Just, and we're just staring at each other. Because by that time, you're like, it's all gone, man. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing left. And he's just looking at us, and he goes, I feel like I'm standing on holy ground. Because I'm telling you what, folks, the Holy Spirit swept through this campgrounds. I'm trying to get emotional here, I can't help it. But <clears throat> the Holy Spirit swept through this place, and there was a fellowship, and there was a camaraderie, and there was a togetherness with some people who knew the Lord and a bunch of people who didn't even know the Lord from day one. From day one, the parents are just walking around going, oh, I can't believe this is. 
You know, it's just like, this is unbelievable. I can't even believe this thing. You know what I mean? And we're like, we can't believe it either. You know what I mean? Um, but it was just, just fantastic, awesome. <clears throat> so, yeah, every single night, the way, the, so basically the way our, our format works, the first night, the first day, uh, Wednesday, was just everyone showing up, getting their trailers set up, and getting the lay of the land, getting the schedule and all that. And then every night we would have dinner at 6 o'clock, followed by our worship service at 7 o'clock with worship, and then uh, we'd teach the Word. And this year, the camp theme was, one, was 100%. Uh, and every day it was a, it was a, 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 a portion of that theme. 100% God was the first one. And talking to people about the fact that, that everything that we have in Jesus Christ, it is 100% of him, by him, and therefore for him, right? Everything is about God. Everything is about Jesus. He has accomplished this for us. He's done this work. And then the second night was, which is different because then you got your full day of riding and then you go into the same thing and everyone's kind of tired and you're, well, how is this going to go? Uh, and our second night was talking about surrender. And you're always wondering, how is this one going to go with people uh, talking, about, talking about surrender? Um, and then after that, our third night was 100% team. So the idea was to, to, to take the people from, from the understanding of who God is and what he's accomplished for us our response to him, which is to surrender our lives. Easier said than done, right? And difficult for people, a lot of people who don't know Jesus, who've never been churched, to sit there and try to explain to them, you surrender. You need to surrender. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. But then to go from there to once you've surrendered your life to God, that God is building, always building his team. He's building his team. Uh, and just talking about the fellowship and all the different things. And Friday night came, and it's a completely different atmosphere with, with the parents there as opposed to just being the kids. You know, with the kids, it's, it's more regimented. We have them all day. We tell them where to go, what to do. You know, the whole time with the parents there, they're in charge of their children. So we have them for training, but all the other parts of the day, they belong to their parents. Uh, and we ask them to be a part of all the programs, but we can't force them to be a part of all the programs. And I was unsure of how the response would go. And I was even second-guessing a little bit before service started Friday night. I was talking to Ed Stratton. I was like, I don't know, Ed. Maybe I won't do like a regular altar call. Like maybe what I'll do is I'll say, well, let's break up into our huddle groups and then let's meet here afterwards. If anyone wants to pray, I'd like to pray with you and blah, blah, blah. And he was just kind of like Frank. He goes, listen, I trust you. If that's what the Lord's showing you to do, then I trust you but you need to do an altar call. He told me, he's like, you put my feet to the fire. You need to do an altar call. The people have been touched and the people are ready to hear and the people are ready to be given an opportunity to ask Jesus into their heart. Don't let them go. And he was like, you know, rebuking me in like a really sweet way. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. That was a voice. That was the Lord. That's, that's, that's a word. So um, it's, a, it, it's a strange thing because you don't know. You don't know, I had no idea what the response would be when it finally came down to saying, if you want to ask Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and to be your Savior, and you want to follow him, and you want to, and you want to charge after these things that we've been talking about all week, you know, I'm going to go stand over here in the corner while the musicians come up and play, and if you want to ask Jesus in your heart, come up, and, and, I'm, and I move over there, and you know, a couple people get up, and they're like, oh, okay, at least I won't be up here alone, and then it's boom, boom, and, and parents and families, and all of these people come up, and it was probably over 50 people 
uh, that ended up coming forward and asking Jesus Christ into their, into their hearts. And some of, them are, some of them are new converts, and some of them are people who have asked the Lord into their hearts before and were rededicating their life to the Lord. But it was just, as always, the power of the Holy Spirit moving through that place this week, guys, was, was amazing and awesome. And uh, so I want to thank you guys for your, for your prayers um, and you know this this church always this church always supports supports the FCA motocross ministry and uh, I'm just very very thankful for that so thank you guys very much for that all right now let's get to the word <clears throat> we are in the book of Numbers and we are in uh, chapter 32 Numbers chapter 32. Awesome. <clears throat> I just want to read through, kind of cover a little bit of what we talked about last week, uh, and then finish it up. Let's start with prayer. Let's pray over it first. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to uh, fellowship here together, Lord, and to study it um, with each other, Lord, knowing that your Holy Spirit is here with us. We pray, Father, that you would uh, teach our hearts, uh, Lord, exactly what it is that you want us to to, to get and take away from this, this portion of Scripture, Father. Pray that you would instruct us and that you would continually be encouraging us in our faith, Lord, to draw closer and nearer to you, Father, and not to be, not to be uh, ever satisfied with where we are in Jesus Christ, Father. So we pray that you would have your way in us in, in his name. Amen. 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 Oh, and I apologize if I'm a little bit out of it too, guys. I'm pretty, I'm like, oh, Marty, it's like jet lag or something. It's hard to explain, but boy, is it, it's beautiful. Uh, so Numbers chapter 32, <clears throat> again, to set it up, the, the children of Israel are drawing near the promised land. They're drawing, they're coming near the promised land, uh, the land that God had sworn to Abraham to give this back. So this is hundreds of years, literally hundreds and hundreds of years in the making, this promise finally being realized. God had told Abraham, and, and the beautiful thing about the Old Testament, the beautiful thing about all of the travels of the children of Israel and where God took them is that it all started with these words, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. I love that. Think of how revolutionary it was for the Apostle Paul to go into the synagogues and begin to explain to the Jewish people in those synagogues that Abraham was not justified because of circumcision. Abraham was not justified by keeping the law. Of course, the law hadn't even been given yet, right? Abraham was not justified even by the sacrifices that he offered to God. But Abraham was justified because he believed. Because he believed. And think of the circumstances of Abraham's life and his belief. Again, he's an old man when he's called. You know what I'm saying? So if, like, if you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s and like, man, when am I going to get all this down? But be patient. God just may call you when you're 80 and say, now get on a plane. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why not? God calls this old man and his old wife, and they've had, this, they've had this, um, this burden on their family. They've had this thing that's, that's been over their heads their entire marriage, uh, their entire married lives. They've had this, this hanging over their head that they've never been able to have children. 
And in, the, in that day, in those cultures, in that time, if you were unable to have children, you were considered cursed. I don't care what gods you prayed to and what idol you had, you were considered cursed by those gods if you were unable to bear children. And so here's Abraham and Sarah in some way, shape, or form either being told or believing themselves that they're under some sort of a curse, and now here comes the voice of God. Here comes the voice of God telling Abraham, I want you to leave everything. I want you to take your wife. I want you to pack some of your belongings. I want you to leave every single thing that you know, and I want you to strike out, Abraham, Abram at the time. I want you to strike out, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Oh, where's that? <laughs> I'll show you. When? <laughs> I'll show you. And we have this beautiful picture of Abraham being told by God to just get up and begin moving, having absolutely no idea where he was going to end up and where he was going to go. And as Abraham travels and his relationship with God continues to grow and God continues to show Abraham all of these things, all of these beautiful truths about faith, about belief, using Abraham's failures right? Using Abraham's lapses in faith, where God had promised him, God had told him, this is what I'm going to do, and by your wife, Sarah, you are going to have a son, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Not only that, God gave him two different visions in talking to him about this promise. He said, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand of the seashore. Okay, that makes sense. He also said to him, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky. And Abraham, of course, could have probably never known. The New Testament tells us that the prophets of old longed to look into and fully understand and realize the things that God was giving them to write down, but they never realized it. They never saw the promise. They never, ever saw it fulfilled. They simply believed that what God was telling them to do or what God was telling them to say was important, and they were obedient to the will of God and to the word of God in their hearts and in their lives. And so God teaches Abraham this beautiful lesson as he takes them through. But Abraham has, as we all know, these lapses in faith where he goes into a certain place, and, and in that culture and in that time, you know, it was the death penalty uh, adultery was anywhere, but there's an easy way around that. You just kill the guy. Then you can take his wife. You know what I mean? Then, you, then it's all good. That's fine. You know. And so Abraham was afraid, and he told people that Sarah was his sister. And so we have that whole ordeal that God had to rescue Abram out of. Then we have the next one where when, she come, when they come out of Egypt, they bring with them a handmaiden whose name is Hagar, and Sarah, now remember, they're walking with God, they're following God, they're walking through the wilderness, they're listening and trying to listen, but we're reading through Genesis, we're reading through the scriptures, and for us it's like this, oh, then this, then this, and this. There's years and years and years in between the times that Abraham heard anything from God, and he's just out there. When are you going to do this stuff you said you're going to do? When is this stuff actually going to take place? When is it actually going to happen in my life, God? When are you going to do the things that you promised? And finally, Sarah says, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, Abram. It's not, it's not going to happen. Take my handmaiden, have a child with her, and I'll raise it as my own. 
We'll raise it as, that'll be your son. That'll be the son of promise. Well, we all know that that wasn't God's plan. But through all of that, God was teaching Abram. Until finally when he gets to the place of total trust in God, where he believes God, and the Bible says, and God counted that as righteousness on Abram's behalf. And so when we talk about the descendants of Abraham, we have, of course, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel that are the descendants of Abraham, and all the promises that did come through them and that are yet to come through them as well. But also, there's this mysterious part where he says your descendants are also going to be as the stars of the sky. And it's not until, uh, I believe, Hebrews, when the writer begins to teach the church, that Abraham is the father, not only of the Jewish nation, not only of the Israelites, but to all those who would believe. To all who would believe, Abraham is your father. He is your spiritual father as much as he is the physical father of the children of Israel. Now, what's more real? The spiritual or the physical, right? Well, we live in the economy of the physical, what we can see, what we can taste, what we can touch, what we can hear, our senses. We're relegated to that. But we know that there's something beyond all of that because God has hopefully touched our hearts. And we know and understand that there's something beyond the physical. There's something beyond what we can see and what we can experience in this world. And it's as real as this one. But it has to be activated through faith, right? It has to be activated through faith. And so the Christian can have a relationship with God and can experience a love with God that is not at all remotely understandable to those who have not believed. It's very, very important for us to understand that. That people who have not believed, people who don't have faith, people who have not been born again of the Spirit cannot fully understand the things that you're talking to them about. They can't know the things. The Bible says that the natural man does not know the things of God. It's only the spiritual man that knows the things of God. And so Abraham is sent on this journey, and he's the father of all those believe. But God gives him this promise, and now we go through, think of all the things from Abraham to Moses to Joshua and the children of Israel entering into the promised land to all the things that transpire through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's sons, Joseph going into slavery in Egypt, God using that horrible thing in order to save the entire family, and be brought, they're all brought to Egypt to be taken care of, but then the Pharaoh arises who knows not Joseph, and they go into 400 years of slavery before God finally brings them out, brings them to Mount Sinai, and then the march towards the promised land. And at that point in time, when they get to the, to the, to the border of the promised land, after all that they've been, they've been taught, taught, all that they know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all that they've experienced through Egypt and the bondage, and then being brought to the mountain and seeing the power and the presence of God and receiving the law of God, seeing Moses' face shine from the presence of God to a point where they ask his face to be veiled because it's so powerful they're overwhelmed by it. And finally God brings them to the border. He finally brings them to the promised land and all they can see is the reasons why not. All they're willing to see are the reasons why not, why it's impossible, why they can't, why it can't be done. 
And there's only two that say, and Joshua and Caleb, and that spirit and that attitude that they had. You know, they are bread for us, talking about the inhabitants of the land. Not because we're so tough. God has made this promise. And the people reject it. We know the story. They're turned away, and for 40 years more. And I wonder, what did Joshua feel like during all of this? What did Caleb and Moses feel like during all this? And all of the people who had believed and who had been willing to enter into the promised land at that time, as they're now forced to go through the desert with a people who didn't believe. They're forced to go through all of the experiences of those 40 years of wandering in the desert when they had had the faith to go into the promised land. That's an interesting thing to me, that God took this small group of people and said, even though you believe, I'm going to put you with the unbelievers to walk with them in the wilderness for 40 years. And you wonder, why? Well, Caleb, Joshua, Moses, uh, and a few others, the only ones who didn't die in the wilderness. It's a whole new generation that goes in. Who's going to teach the new generation? Who is going to teach the next generation that it's possible? Not only is it possible, but God has commanded us to go into the promised land. That God has commanded us to go to the place that he promised to our fathers. And so that's exactly what happens. And now they get to the border of the promised land. They already have defeated giants. Og, the king of Bashan. And, and, and they've already beaten the Moabites. And they've had these great these great military victories. And now they get to the promised land. There's nothing stopping them from entering in. And these few tribes, Reuben, Gad, and we find out later the half-tribe of Manasseh, say, we're perfectly content on this side of the Jordan. We're perfectly content to stay right here. We have cattle. This is what we do. We raise cattle. And these pastures are perfect for raising cattle. We're content. In fact, this is our inheritance. They call it out. This is our inheritance. Let's, let's read through. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying... Adaroth, Debon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliyah, whatever, <laughs> Sheba, Nebu, and beyond, the country, that spot which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And that's the sentence that I want you to remember. That's the sentence that I want you to think about. That the children, these, these particular people looked at Moses and said, do not take us over the Jordan. And I wonder, I wonder how many times in my heart, spiritually, through an act of unbelief or through the act of complacency or being happy with where I am, being happy with how much of God that I have, how many times in my heart I've said, I don't need to go over the Jordan. Because I know this, I know this, I am not even remotely close to where I could be in Jesus Christ. 
right? Because we've had examples through our history, haven't we? From the word of God and through church history, we've seen examples of men and women who have fully belonged to Jesus Christ, whose lives have been 100% given over to him, who have crossed over the Jordan into the promised land and have tasted and seen fully how good the Lord was, and we've seen God use them in amazing, powerful, miraculous ways. And I wonder about the things in my life. It's not just my whole life. Probably all of you, at least in part of your lives, you're ready to go over the Jordan. But if there's anything in my life that I want to stay on this side of the Jordan River, there's this part of my life I want to stay on this, this side of the Jordan River. I don't want every part of my life and everything that I'm involved with and all of my relationships to cross over in uh, the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did. Now here's Moses teaching again. When I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land, for they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, and they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people." Now, it's interesting because we know that they are after this immediately going to say, we are fully ready, willing, and able to cross over the Jordan with all of our brothers and sisters. We are going to go to war with you to subdue the inhabitants of the land, to do what God has called us to do. We're going to go in. We're going to be with you through all of the wars, through all of the battles. And then when all of that's done, we'll come back over to this side of the Jordan River and we'll have our inheritance here. But Moses, before they have the opportunity to say that, gives them the warning of unbelief, of what unbelief does. Gives them the warning of what unbelief does. Not just the fact that if they were not willing to go over and fight across the side of the Jordan, but the, 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 the warning against not believing in every aspect and in everything that the Lord God has told them and the promises that God had given them. If you reject... If you reject any of the promises of God, you're going to bring discouragement to your brothers and sisters. If you reject any of the promises of God, you're dooming yourself to re repeat mistakes of the past. Any part of my life, any part of my life that's held back from wholly being given to God, from allowing it to sometimes dragged across the Jordan River maybe, anything that I hold back, there is the opportunity the enemy has to repeat the mistakes in my life, for me to repeat. So, uh, let's, let's skip down. Okay, we're going to go down to verse 25. And Mo Moses gave him the if-thens, okay? If you go over and you fight, and you fight with your brothers, then you can come back here and take the land. And if you don't, you won't get it. Um, 
And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over, every man armed for war, before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, then they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. So in other words, if they don't cross over with you in battle, if they don't keep their word, they don't get the land of Gilead, they get whatever is left that they can muster from the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, as the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over, armed before the Lord, into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So Moses gave to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders, the cities of the surrounding country. And the children of Gad built Debon and Adaroth and Eror, Adaroth and Shophan and Jazer and Jagbaha, Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Elalah and Kirjathaim, Nebo and Baal Maon, their names being changed. Did you guys know that? Yeah, just, that's just free information. Their, name, their, name, their names were changed. Now, now, now it makes perfect sense, right? And Shibma, <laughs> good old Shibma. And they gave other names to the cities which they built. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. Now, I want you to see that word dispossessed. Um, because that means that they drove them out, that they drove them out. But that's not what God had called them to do, was it? God had called them to go into these cities, and it was God's judgment on the land of Canaan. We talked about this last week. It was God's will that they were to go into the land of Canaan and wipe the people out. That's a tough pill for, a lot for, for us to swallow, and it's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. But God assumes the right of judgment at his timing and according to his will. And he had told them very clearly, you're to go into these, to these areas and you're going to these cities and put them to the sword and burn them. Utterly destroy them. Utterly wipe them out. Of course, the picture for you and I is that that is what has to be done with sin. That is what has to be done with any aspect of lawlessness within our hearts, that we can make no occasion for it. Literally, the spiritual equivalent of the children of Israel going into the land of Canaan and wiping out the inhabitants, not dispossessing them, but wiping them out, is when Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it into the fire. It's better, better to enter into heaven a one-armed man or one-handed man than to have two hands and enter into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it into the fire. Because it's better for you to go into heaven with one eye than to have both your eyes and to go into hell. Of course, Jesus is speaking figuratively, not literally about hand chopping and eye gouging. 
The things in my life, the areas of my life, the aspects of my life that continually pull me away from God, that continually cause me to trip up in my faith, to fall into unbelief, to fall into disobedience. Jesus says, there's only one thing to be done with those areas of your life. You don't make agreements with them. You don't push it out. You know, he gives that, that beautiful analogy of, the, of the, the, the man who has de a demon driven from him or cast out of him, and it goes throughout the land, and then it comes back and says, I'm going to go back to where I came from and sees the house swept clean and put into order. And then he says, I'll go get seven demons worse than myself. And they all come back into the man. And, the, and Jesus says, the condition, the final condition of the, the man is worse than it was in, at, the, at the first. The idea there is that those things had been dispossessed from that man's life, but they, that nothing filled its place. That nothing filled its place. God did not call them to dispossess the inhabitants of the land. He called them to wipe them out, the same way that we should do uh, with, sin in our, with sin in our lives and unbelief in our lives and disobedience in our lives. Um, let's see, sorry. Verse 40, wrapping up. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havoth Jair. Then Nobah went and took Canaan and its villages, and he called it Nobah after his own name. So, interestingly, we have a mini conquest before the conquest of Canaan begins. We have this mini conquest as Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh set up these towns, set up these areas as their possession on this side of the Jordan River. On this side of the Jordan River. Then, they're going to go into the promised land, and they're going to fight the battles. They're going to fight alongside their brothers, but their women and their children are going to remain on this side of the Jordan River. And that's the last, the last analogy I kind of wanted to pull out of this for you guys, is that they left their families behind, and they went over the Jordan to fight the battles, and then finally came back to join their families where the children of Israel were required and called by God to all of them together cross over the Jordan River. No man left behind kind of thing, right? As we press forward in Jesus Christ and as we move forward in our faith, we should seek to bring all of our people, everyone who God has given us, our immediate family, of course, and the people within our church, and the people in our circle, in our lives, that God has put in, us, in our lives for fellowship, we should be seeking to bring everybody with us. You know, I, I mean, I, I, can, I confess to you, I can get going in my, in my relationship with the Lord, and I can get excited about my relationship with the Lord, and, oh, I'm, 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 I'm really digging into the Lord in this area, in this area. Man, the Lord's showing me things in this area, in that area, and it's just me. You know, and I tell my, my family about it, but I have a tendency to then not say, let me show you. Let me bring you along with me. Let's do this together. Let's always be together in everything that we do with Jesus. I think that that's an important thing for all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and, and uh, we're thankful, Lord, for the instruction of your word, Father, uh, and, and even for the warnings, Father, that we have through the disobedience of uh, some of your people, Father, uh, Lord, we pray that we can learn their lessons, Lord. 
Uh, Father, we ask and pray that we would always be seeking uh, to go across the Jordan River, Lord, that we would never be content to just stay where we are. We would never be content with where we are in Jesus Christ, Father, but we would always be seeking to press further and further into the promises, Lord, that you've given us, Lord. So we are grateful and we're thankful, Father, for how far you have brought us already. Uh, Lord, and we pray that you would continue to encourage our hearts and convict our hearts where we need it, Lord, to move on in our faith. Uh, I just pray that you bless all my brothers and sisters who are here today, Lord, those who are coming to our second service as well, Father, and for all the churches around the world who are gathered together uh, today in Jesus' name, Lord, to study your word and to uh, praise you and to praise the name of Jesus, Father. We pray that you'd bless them, bless their services, Lord, and bless their ministries. Uh, Lord, we pray and ask, Father, that you'd give them strength uh, in some of these difficult times that they're going through, whether it's here in the States dealing with the COVID uh, rules and regulations, Lord, or whether it's in other parts of the world where their, their meetings are illegal, Father, we ask and pray that you'd give them power and strength through your Holy Spirit and by the blood of the Lamb to overcome, Father, the gates of hell, and that they would continue in the faith that you've, set, that you've put them in, Father, and the path that you've set them upon. So we glorify you, and we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.